Y'all good? Y'all better after the music? Yeah. Uh, good to see y'all. Glad you made it. Uh, let's see. Time change, coronavirus. What else you got? Y'all made it. Proud of you. Bonus points for you. Uh, I don't know what you do with those points yet, but you get them. Um, and we are continuing on uh, in a series out of Leviticus. And um, we are looking at this really odd book in the Old Testament uh, that uh, many people discount or don't like, or they look at it and they go, that is everything wrong with the Bible, uh, or they think of it as the one book that stopped them from reading the whole Bible. They got there and they said, no, no, can't do it. Uh, but it is a, a fascinating little book, and today we are going to uh, look a little bit more. If you're going to summarize the, the entire book of Leviticus, there's a sentence in it that says, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And the whole book of Leviticus is about that happening in the life of the people of Israel. They have been slaves in Egypt. They have been far from God. They did not think God cared. They did not think that their lives mattered. They were property. And God reaches in with God's mighty right hand, delivers them out of slavery, delivers them into the desert. And now they must figure out what it means to be a free people. They don't want to go back to being slaves. They don't want their kids to go back to that. They've got to be free. They've got to find freedom in God. And part of that process is God gives them a whole set of rules, a whole set of laws and directions and details, and tells them this is a process, this is a routine, this is a ritual that you will enact, that you will be a part of, and this will help make sure not only that you find freedom, but it'll be also be good for you, your kids, and for the surrounding community as well. All the people in the land will look at you and they will say, they are certainly distinct. They are holy. And if you don't like the word holy, if that bothers you, just think of full of love. Perfect in God's love. That's what holiness is. Perfect in God's love. Freed from sin and death holy. And so today, uh, if you think about that whole big word that's there, holy, it's so huge, it's so nebulous, it doesn't have a center, it's hard to put your finger in it, uh, and to say that's what holiness looks like or that's what it is. Uh, and so God knew that, and part of what God does, first part of Leviticus, tells him this is how you show your thanks for being free, this is how you show your thanks for being my people. And then God says, and I'll give you a group of people who will show you how to be my people, how to be holy. And he sets apart a group of people called the priest. And before you jump ahead, before you begin to think about your understanding of priest, whether that's tangled up in the Roman Catholic way of looking at priest or some other idea you have, let's just think about what it means for a moment. And the priest's job was to be go-betweens, mediaries, thresholds. They were the ones that stood between a God who was holy and a people 
who were still learning, who were still struggling, who were still in need of direction and instruction. And so the priest's job was to stand between, to be the one who's in between God and the people, mediating, showing, being a demonstration, an example. Uh, That was their job. That was their role. And before you jump ahead and say, yeah, but, you know, priest, who can trust him, who could know that? Have you ever had somebody, not somebody who was clergy, not somebody who worked for a church, but somebody who did that job for you, who did that role for you? I mean, chances are you're here today because somebody did that role for you. They got to know you. They understood you. You could relate to them. And they began to give you an idea of how your life could be different if you knew God, if you knew who Jesus was. You know, somebody shared that with you. They were somebody who were an example to you, who could witness to say, this Christian life works. It can be done. I can show you how. I can make you understand better. You know, you could probably think of somebody like that in your life. And chances are, when it comes to these names that we put up on the cross and we're praying that God's going to work in their life, part of your prayer is that God just give them somebody that can show them your love and your mercy and your greatness that they can relate to and that they can understand, you know. And that's a, that's a priestly role, you know. It's that, that go-between, that, in a, in a, that, that go-between, that person who stands between God and them and, and mediates it and makes it happen, right? And this would have to be a very particular people, right? Uh, somebody that understood who God was but also could relate and understand what the people were going through. And um, when we get to the passage that I'm going to read for you, it's part of the instructions that Moses gives to the priest, and by Moses, God gives instructions to the priest. And it's an odd little set of directions. There's a ton of instructions for priests in the book of Leviticus. We're not going to read them all. You could read them um, after you get done with your tax returns or something more interesting than that. But uh, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, Uh, It says this, it says, The Lord said to Aaron, Aaron's Moses' brother, "Um, Both of you and your sons must not drink wine or beer uh, when you enter the meeting tent so that you don't die. This is a permanent rule throughout future generations so that you can distinguish between holy and common, between unclean and clean, and so that you can teach the Israelites all the rules that the Lord spoke to them through Moses. So that's the passage we're going to look at real quick. And just to summarize it for you, uh, this is, once again, the priest getting direction. And uh, it tells them that both you and your sons, that would be the whole priesthood of the time, Aaron and his sons, getting directions. And they're not supposed to drink beer or wine when they're doing the rituals. Uh, In effect, basically, he's telling them, please don't drink and do ritual, right? Don't get drunk and try and lead worship. It doesn't go well. may make for an entertaining Sunday, but by and large, it's not a good idea, right? And there's a very specific reason they give this direction, but you can begin to get a sense of what God's expectation for these people are, uh, that they're supposed to live a particular way and that uh, they're supposed to be sober. Why? Uh, well, part of it is, it says, so that you can distinguish between what is holy and the common, between unclean and clean. Distinguish between holy and the common, between unclean and clean. So that you can have a sober understanding and say, this is 
what love requires. This is what love does. This is what love means. And this is not. This is the difference between holy and unholy, common and set apart. And uh, if you think that's crazy, you know, you've got things in your life that are set apart, right? You have things that you only use for certain occasion. You maybe have some china that you only use for special visitors or special guests. Uh, You probably have, you know, uh, special towels in your kitchen that are meant for company and some that are meant for your kids, right? And just to pick on the guys, you have a set of tools that are for you, and then there's the household tools, right? Am I the only one that does that? Okay. And then, uh, and so he says, you're going to have to know the difference between these two, this and not that. And then the final piece of his instruction is why. It says, so that you can teach the Israelites all the rules that the Lord spoke to them through Moses. So that's the the piece of it. It says, you're going to have to instruct them. They're going to have to learn. They're going from knowing nothing about God to being a people who are meant to be close to God, to belong to God. And you're going to have to lead them step by step, piece by piece. And it's going to require that you live your life in a particular way. You will be set apart. It won't be like the ordinary folks, but you'll be set apart. And like I said, I'm not going to go into all of it, but it's just fascinating from a standpoint of all the things the priest was supposed to do if you follow through on Leviticus. I mean, it goes from leading worship or handling sacrifices to inspecting houses for mildew, right? Uh, And then there's like um, inspecting people for skin diseases. I mean, that's part of the priest's job in Leviticus. That's such an odd thing to me. I don't know about Matt, but when I was in seminary, I did not get a class on mildew inspection or skin disease, you know, even though I'm training to be clergy. That was not there. Are y'all even awake? Okay. I mean, is this thing on, right? Is this some sort of bizarre stuff that happens, but, you know, day by day, they do their part, and it's a full-time gig for these priests. Uh, They've got a fire that they have to keep going day by day. Their job is to model and to be an example and to show this is what life could be if you knew who God was, and this is what we could be if you understood where God is leading us. I mean, that was how crucial that job was. It was so important. And then, you know, what good is it, though? I mean, they've got all these rules, all these instructions, and then they've got to find a way to help people understand why they need to be a part of it. And for that, you've got to have somebody they could relate to. And as I thought about this particular passage, I thought, well, Aaron made a whole lot of sense, and here's why. Y'all, y'all know Aaron's history? Uh, the thing, I don't know about you, but the thing that always comes to mind when I think about Aaron is the story of the golden calf, right? I mean, that is usually what people think of when they think of Aaron. One, he was Moses' you know, speaker. Uh, and then secondly, the golden calf, where Moses was up talking to God, getting the commandments, and um, Aaron got fidgety, nervous about what's going on in his, his world with his people, and he says, you know... They want a God like all the other people have gods, so let's make the golden calf. And he invites them to donate all their gold earrings and gold teeth and gold hubcaps, and they make the golden calf, and they all bow down and worship it. And you can read the whole story. It's just an ugly event, ugly event in the book of Exodus. And, 
you think to yourself, that's who God picked to be the first high priest. That's who got the honor of being the first high priest, him. Like, if you looked at his resume, in nowhere, shape, and form says he's qualified to be the great high priest. The only thing that made any sense for why he got the gig was he's related to Moses, right? There's some nepotism going on, and he's the one that God picks. And I lift that up to you because most of the time when we think about, well, who's going to show others who God is? Who's going to be able to embody a life that displays God's grace and God's mercy to the world? Many people disqualify themselves and say, well, you know, you don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know my current situation. You don't understand what's going on in my life. And um, you couldn't possibly think that it's my gig or my job or my role to be somebody who acts like a priest to others. I mean, I, you know, they'll tell you, you know, I, I even know the Old New Testament passage where we're called to be a priesthood of all believers. You know, like that's a, a job that every Christian has in one way or another, to be a priesthood of all believers. And yet they'll say, but you don't know. You don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes I'm in. You don't know the temptations I'm facing. You don't know the things that I'm dealing with. And, and Aaron's such a beautiful example because God doesn't pick him because he's perfect. God doesn't pick him because he's got it all figured out. God just says, Aaron, you're the one, and your sons, you're going to be my first priest. And he picks them. And um, I like it because in my mind, I know that when I get to heaven and I meet Aaron and I say, hey, what about the golden calf? He's going to go, oh, good, Rick, thanks. That was so nice of you to bring that up. Other billion Christians that I just met have just told me about that too, thanks. And then he'll probably say, hey, what about that time in the 80s when you, and I'll go, okay, hey, we're good, you know, we're good, Aaron. Um, so I think I could relate well to him. And the other piece of Aaron's role in this story that I, I want to bring up is just where this whole thing lands and that's, it's in the only story in Leviticus. The only narrative in Leviticus is right here. And it's the story of Aaron's two sons. And I'm going to have to read the names because they're different. Uh, Nadab and Abihu. Abihu. Those are the two sons that are listed. And uh, it's, it's just this bizarre story in a bizarre book. And if you read it this, today, then, then you'll go, that makes... So very little sense. But basically, here's how it goes. They've been set apart. They've been trained to be the priest. And then these two sons of Aaron go into the place of worship. And um, it's not real clear what happens. But the fire of God comes out and consumes the two of them. It kills them both. And afterwards, uh, Aaron's distraught. He's dismayed, as anybody would be. And Moses tells him, he says... Look, uh, you can't grieve like other people do. You're a priest. You're going to have to keep your hair straight, keep your clothes neat. You're going to have to model what it means to be a priest of God, even in the midst of this. And uh, not only that, but then there's the, the part that we just got to where the story makes a little bit more sense. Why did the two sons, why were they killed? Why did they lose their lives? And it has to do something with, A, they were drunk and... God didn't put up with that. B, they didn't follow the directions. Uh, 
which is terrifying for people like me that don't like directions. And then thirdly, uh, there is this piece to it where maybe it had to do with religion of other gods that were in the area, and so that's why. But at the end of it all, they have this conversation, and you would think it would be a peaceful agreement, but uh, after it all, they've, they've removed the bodies, they've put them outside of the, the, the town, right, the, the village, and everything's on track, and then Aaron and Moses have a conversation at the end of it, and Aaron, Moses is trying to go through the details, he's trying to go through the rituals, and he says, hey, if you had, you know, eaten the ritual the correct way, then uh, that's what you were supposed to do. And Aaron kind of interrupts him and he goes, oh, well, well, that would have made the difference. Like, we didn't follow paragraph 8, subsection 3, article 2, and therefore this tragedy happened. And then it says afterwards, it says, and Moses was satisfied. Which is my understanding of Moses going, okay, whatever, we're good, <laughs> sorry. You know? And, and why do I, I appreciate that so much? It means that not only did Aaron have a past, but this is somebody who went through the worst of it. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but that's what I think of. I think he's somebody that went through the absolute worst situation of life imaginable. And I know there's other tragedies, other things that we could name, but that's right there at the top, right? And, or the bottom, as it were. And so we're talking about somebody who carries on faithfully believing in God, trusting in God, even though what has gone on in his past, what he's facing in the present, and not 100% sure of what's next, but has the conviction to honor God and trust God and to continue on in his worship and his beliefs and to be a priest to others. And I think to myself, I could really appreciate somebody like that. And we need people like that. And if you think about the role that they play in our lives, they're the ones that tell us, hey, I went through that, hey, I endured that, hey, that was difficult, but God carried me through even that. They're the ones that speak the words that we need to hear and that tell us over and over again things that our heart needs to hear on a daily basis. You know, many times people think about worship or ritual and they go, it's empty, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have meaning. Uh, but when you think about like our communion ritual that we say, there's a piece of it where the person that's presiding at the table says, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. And we need to hear that at least once a month, if not daily. And the person hearing it needs to hear the same thing, that they're forgiven as well. I mean, how powerful would it be right now if instead of everything that's out on the media, we could just hear God's word pronounced? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with thee. Do not be afraid. And that's part of what priests do. They speak words, and then their life demonstrates that they really and honestly believe it and mean it. Aaron was good, but if you are 
familiar with the book of Hebrews, Hebrews pronounces and says, but there's one better. There is a high priest better than Aaron, better than any other priest that has ever lived. And uh, you could read the book of Hebrews, and it has this soaring sermon that talks about who Jesus is and how he is better than any high priest that has ever lived, how he's able to give a sacrifice that atones for our sins and our lives in ways that no other priest has ever done and never will ever be able to do. Uh, that we have a high priest in the heavens seated at the throne who is able to offer us grace and mercy and love that makes us holy and right with God. And um, when you think about somebody who can relate, uh, Hebrews spells it out so beautifully. In chapter 2, verse 17, it talks about Jesus and it says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are. And many people look at Christ, or they look at the church, or they look at the faith, and they said all those people do is kind of follow a rule, or a routine, or a ritual, and they don't grasp what the writer of Hebrew and Hebrews and countless other Christians have proclaimed from day one. They say it is not a ritual. It's not a routine. It is us looking to the one who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, the author of our salvation. It is looking beyond our ordinary life and saying he is holy. He is great. He is powerful. He is mighty. It is Christians looking to the heavens and saying, he is a high priest above all other high priests. No one else can offer what he can do. That we look to the greatness of our high priest in Jesus Christ and we say, he is the one who understands. When you think about your life, what you struggle with, what hurts, what has been the problems of your life, and each and every one of those things Jesus gets. And he grasps. And he knows. He is not a high priest that's unable to sympathize with our problems, but in every way, he knows what you are facing. And he stands there at the threshold, he stands there at the gate, and he invites us to come and know who God is to receive God's goodness and God's mercy. And day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, he invites us into the life that only God could make possible. So today I invite you to look to him. Stop worrying about your past or what it is that you are facing, but look to him. Jesus, the author of our salvation, the one who was on the cross, risen, and living today so we might know who God is. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, in this time we lift up to you our hearts and our lives and all that we are in worship. We pray in this time that you would fill us with your mercy and your grace, that you would remind us of your steadfast love. Lord, we thank you that we have Jesus who stands 
before us this day, reminding us that we are loved, that we are cherished, that we are treasured, that in all of heaven he was the one who was created by God, given all power and authority, had all the universe in his hands, and yet he came into our world for us, for us, our salvation. We pray that you would be working within our hearts this week, reminding us of that, that we are treasured, that we are prized by the Lord Most High, and that he has given us a one who could be our example, who could demonstrate what it is to live a life that's close to you. All this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.